be trusted. Let's walk through these reasons together. The first thing that John does is he helps us see in bearing witness concerning Jesus that we have a unified testimony about him. We have a unified testimony. We know if you go back to chapter one, verse one through four, John refers to himself as a witness, doesn't he? An eyewitness. Remember he says, uh, that which we've, from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, he includes himself as an eyewitness to the truth of who Jesus is. The fact that he lived and that he died, rose again, but now he points beyond himself to a greater witness. Indeed, in verses six through eight, John refers to three witnesses, the water, the blood, and the spirit. And it's really weird that he uses those witnesses, not the spirit, the water and blood. It's just weird. It sounds odd to our ears. Like when you're thinking about a witness sitting in a courtroom, you're not thinking about a blob of water or blood, are you? Why does he do this? How can water and blood, and certainly the spirit, bear witness to the truth concerning Jesus? Well, let's consider them individually first and then see how they all testify as a unified witness together. Let's first of all consider the testimony of water. The testimony of water, you see in the text, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. Let's first start with the water. What in the world does he mean here with this word water? My response to that would be, great question. That's a tough one. It's a very difficult passage to try to discern what, what does he mean? There's been several suggestions about what does John refer to here when he includes this reference to water. Some think that the water and blood, using those together, refer to the, to the sacraments, to the baptism, to baptism in the Lord's Supper of the believer, or baptism of the believer in Lord's Supper. Others think that the water and blood is a reference to that which flowed from Jesus' side during his crucifixion. Remember when he was when his side was pierced and water and blood flowed from his side. Some see this as a reference to his birth, the water referencing his birth and the blood referencing his death. And if I get to heaven and one of those is right, I'll say, okay, I believe that. But I think the greatest consensus seems to be over the course of church history and over, over just solid attempts to try to understand the broader idea of what, what John's getting at here, I think the, the consensus seems to be, and I think it's right, that John here is highlighting the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew chapter three, verse 13 through 17, we have the account, Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. Verse 13 Matthew says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son 
with whom I am well pleased. Think about the baptism of Jesus. It was at his baptism when the Spirit of God descended upon him and the Father declared him to be his beloved Son with whom he is well pleased. Think about the, the, the entirety of the Old Testament. The whole point, overgeneralized, but I think the whole point, we could say, of the Old Testament was to point toward a coming Messiah, a coming Redeemer. It's the whole point of the Old Testament, laying the foundation, laying the groundwork for the coming of the Messiah. Indeed, the Old Testament pointed to the prophet, to a, to a prophet-like figure, John the Baptist, who would come and be the forerunner of Jesus. And that's what we see in the ministry of John the Baptist, laying that, that groundwork for Jesus' ministry to, 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 to take off. And it was at his baptism that then the Spirit of God descends upon him and the Father declares him to be his son. It's as if God at the baptism, baptism of Jesus is saying, here's the one you've been waiting for. The entire Old Testament has been building for this moment. He is here and he is now commissioned for the work that he has been sent to accomplish. Jesus' baptism was that moment when God commissioned him and empowered him to begin the work for which he had come to accomplish. So you think about the, the witness of Jesus' own baptism. Jesus' baptism was actually a moment of divine witness where God himself is bearing witness to the truth concerning his son. He himself is giving witness. The father there in the, in the, the account about Jesus' baptism combines words when he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He combines words from Psalm 2 verse 7, which is a messianic psalm, with language from Isaiah 42, which highlighted the son who would be both king and suffering servant. And at Jesus' baptism, again, it's as if God the Father is saying, this is my son, the one the prophet spoke of. The one who would come be the suffering servant, the king. So the water as a witness points us to the, to, to, to the reality of who Jesus was and what he was to be about. It was a declaration by the Father and the affirmation of the Spirit setting apart Jesus for the mission he had been given. Now, that's what I think the testimony of the water is referring to. But John's clear, not just the water, there's the testimony of water and blood, right? He makes that clear. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. The blood's a little easier to, to understand, I think. I'll get to that a little bit more naturally, a little bit easier uh, of an understanding. Uh, so again, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. The, the second witness of blood, John's saying, is essential to the overall testimony God is presenting concerning his son. Thus, John is saying that if the testimony of water points to the baptism of Jesus where he is commissioned to begin his work, the blood points to the cross of Jesus where he declared that work to be finished. We just sung about that. Baptism is the beginning. The, the, the cross where he sheds his blood for sinners is to, to be that place where that work was complete. It is finished. Why does John make it a point here? to emphasize these witnesses of water and blood. Well, we know that a number of heretics had been negatively impacting the church. There had been many who had left the church. They had followed false teachers. And so that had 
the big concern of the early church and certainly a concern that John's speaking into. And his emphasis here of water and blood is likely a response to some of those heretics that were negatively impacting and leading astray many in the church. Some of which were denying the necessity of the cross. So there, there were some heretics there that had this weird view that, that when Jesus was born, of the, the, the kind of the Messiah came on him, but before he went to the cross, that left him, so that the Christ never died. It was this weird view of, of kind of his Messiahship came and was just with him during his earthly ministry, but it was only a man that died on a cross, not the Christ. This is a wrong view. And John said, no, we need to understand both the testimony of water and blood. It was necessary for him to die. He's confronting head on any view that would eliminate the necessity of atonement and the cross. Friends, I think we need to keep that in mind. I think that can be an easy temptation today if we're not careful, especially in today's social climate. Not to make too much of a play on words here, but we can find it quite tempting to water down the gospel of Jesus Christ by not prioritizing the blood, the need of the cross, which highlights our own sin and unrighteousness and need for forgiveness. It was interesting, just last week when the four of us were there in the UK, we had many opportunities to engage Muslims with the gospel. All of them were quite warm and friendly, beautiful people. But it was, it was oftentimes when we would engage in conversation that a fair number of them would often say how we all serve the same God but just kind of come in different ways. But friends, the Bible is clear. We don't come to God based on our preferred religious system of good works or some other thing. We can only come to God through the atoning work of Jesus Christ, the one who was sent as the suffering servant that he might die and pay the penalty for our sin on a cross. So when John refers to the water and the blood, he is pointing to the totality of Christ's work on our behalf. That's why he was sent. Because we were all bound in sin and needed a redeemer. Jesus comes as that redeemer. His work of atonement is, is, is it takes place so that our sins can be forgiven and we can be reconciled with God. There's no other way. So John's saying, you can't just have a water-only gospel. You have to have the water and the blood. Yes, it was important for the Spirit to descend upon him, the Father to affirm him, and for him to come in that way, to be commissioned. But he, he came to die on a cross. The blood bears witness to our greatest need and God's amazing provision to meet that need through Christ. Again, this is important to keep at the forefront because we can easily, we can easily get off track. Like oftentimes, a common fad we seem, see today and have seen for some time has, has been a subtle move towards what the late David Paulison referred to as the therapeutic gospel. Namely, a gospel that is primarily concerned with people's temporal happiness and welfare, not a gospel that reconcile sinners to a holy God. Now, of course, as Christians, we should care deeply about people's temporal happiness. We should seek to meet need at any point that we can as a testimony to loving them well. But brothers and sisters, if you lose the cross, you lose Christianity. 
period. A crossless Christianity is no Christianity at all. You can see exactly where a Christian or a church or a denomination stands when you, when you see how much of a priority the cross holds in their worldview. And that's John's point, the testimony of water and blood. But we also see the testimony of the Spirit, the third witness John here identifies. And the Holy Spirit has been an important witness to Jesus from his birth throughout his entire ministry. We know that. The Spirit was active there at Jesus' birth, his conception, his birth, present at his baptism, and throughout his entire ministry. Then if you look back to John's gospel, John chapter 15, verse 26, it was Jesus himself who said this. Jesus said, but when the helper comes, whom I will send from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. The, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Christ. The Holy Spirit's job is to be a full-time witness to Jesus. It proceeds from the Father. You have this beautiful tri tr Trinitarian language here, the Father sending the Son, and now the Spirit bearing witness to the Son. Throughout this, letter we, throughout this letter, we've seen how the Spirit confirms even our identity as God's people. You see it in 1 John 3, 24, chapter 4, verse 13 as well where it's by the Spirit that we know that God abides in us. So the work of the Holy Spirit continues on, not only bearing witness to Christ, but, but being at work in our own lives. So friends, when you, when you turn to and believe the gospel of Jesus, when you turn from sin, you turn to Christ and you believe the gospel, one, that is a work of the Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. But when you, when you turn from sin and trust in Jesus as, as a gift of God's grace to reconcile you to God, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter one. And then the Spirit is active both in pointing us to Christ and bearing witness in our own hearts that we have Christ. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, Paul says. So it's interesting here that, that John reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit that bears witness to Jesus as well bears witness to, to the truth of what, he, what he's done in his earthly ministry, but he also bears witness within our own hearts. Again, it's interesting that John uses three witnesses here. Why three? It's likely that John is leaning upon the Old Testament law, which called for a fact to be established by the testimony of two to three witnesses. John's just being biblical, that's what he's doing. He's just referring to the, leaning upon the Old Testament scriptures say, there's not just one, there's three. Three witnesses that bear witness. The water and blood both point to the work of Jesus in his earthly ministry, and the Holy Spirit bears witness about him, pointing to all those things and more. And John says these three agree. They're unified in their witness together. So you have a unified testimony. The second thing that we see is a compelling testimony in verses 9 and 10. John says, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. 
After John establishes the testimony of these three witnesses, he moves on to argue further why they must be believed. He gives a reason for us to believe the witnesses that have testified the truth concerning Jesus. Notice in verse nine that John argues here from the lesser to the greater. Look at verse nine. If we receive the testimony of men, so if we take men's word for something, if we believe a human's perspective or a human witness to something, the testimony of God is greater. It's as if John is saying, you'll take men's word for it, but now I'm pointing to God, and if, if, you'll, if you'll believe a, a, a fellow human, then how much greater is the testimony of God who's perfectly wise? It's as if we're willing to accept the word of men, how much more ought we to be willing to accept God's testimony? The testimony of God is greater in every way. Notice, by the way, what John is doing here. He's calling now God to the witness stand. God is the one bearing witness to his son. And the testimony of God is greater in every way, in source, in status, in significance. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, the gospel with God for its witness cannot be false. Whatever may be the witness against it, the witness of God is greater. Brothers and sisters, not only is God's testimony about Jesus absolutely reliable, it's a testimony that impacts every single person. Every single person. Think about this for a minute. If I were to have you come up and share five minutes of what you did on vacation this week or this, this summer, just come bear testimony, give witness about what you did on vacation this, this, this summer. You might have most of us kind of interested in that vacation. We might say, oh, well, I'm sure that was enjoyable. We might even have questions about what you experienced depending on where you went. But as interesting and extravagant of a vacation you had and give testimony to, to it has zero impact on our lives, right? I mean, the, the 58 pictures you posted on Facebook, we might've got through half of them I'm sorry, tomorrow we're not gonna remember that, right? I mean, it, does, it has no impact. We're like, maybe amused for a moment, appreciate seeing something, somebody, somebody's experience, but it doesn't impact us, does it? Generally, it doesn't impact our lives. There's nothing transformative about that testimony that changes us, but the testimony of God is radically different. His testimony about his son has direct impact on every single person here today. We see that in verse 10, don't we? Testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God is born concerning his son. Indeed, the testimony that God gives concerning Christ demands a response from every single person. All of us, it impacts all of us. You, you can't remain neutral regarding the testimony about Jesus Christ. There are those who believe the testimony and there are those who do not believe that testimony. There's not a person in between. 
There are two types of people in the world. Those who hear and believe the testimony of God and those who, maybe they've not heard, but they've rejected the testimony in their hearts. They're not believing it. And friends, we need to hear. I think even, even in this passage, we need to hear like the, the, the weight of the consequence of not believing the testimony of God concerning his son. Do you hear what John says? He says, if you do not believe God's testimony about his son, you call God a liar. That's significant. If you reject, if you do not embrace the testimony about Jesus from God, you're saying God is a liar. That is not, friends, a place you want to be. Friends, why can you have certainty about Jesus and trust in him? John is saying, because God himself has given us the evidence. God himself has provided us the evidence, the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Maybe you find yourself today really struggling to accept that testimony. If you're honest. Maybe you're here and you're watching this, this live stream and you're, you, you, really, you really wrestle with this. And I would just urge you to take God's word for it. To take God's word. I mean, you, you'll believe man's word on a number of other things, won't you? And that's John's argument. We'll, we'll take people's word for it at, at all of these other things. Well, why not take God's word for it concerning his own son? And if we reject that, we're, we're calling God a liar. Friend, understand the weight of rejecting that testimony and what that means as you would be separated from God for eternity. God has given us witness. Not only has he given us witness in abundance through these three and more, he has given us this compelling reason as to why we should take his word for it. He himself has spoken concerning his son. And then number three, a third reason we should take this testimony to heart is because of the internal, internal testimony. See that in verses 11 and 12 and 13. Remember John's purpose is to help believers have certainty. Verse 13, the reason he wrote this, so that you who believe in the Son of God, he's writing to Christians, to encourage and help build their confidence and assurance. I'm writing this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know you have eternal life. So his purpose is to help believers have certainty about Jesus and therefore certainty about their salvation. Or we could flip that. The reason he's writing is so that they would have certainty about their salvation and the way they have certainty about their salvation is by having certainty about Jesus. And as such, John has been describing this outward objective witness of Christ, earthly ministry through the Spirit as well as the Father. That there's been these outward witnesses the ministry of Jesus itself, the Holy Spirit of God, and God the Father himself, bearing witness to the truth about Jesus. But now John moves from this outward objective witness to this internal, more subjective witness. 
That is the witness of the spirit that's born in the hearts of believers. If you go back to verse 10, notice what John says there. He says, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself, in you. Testimony of God in you. So one of the witnesses that bear one of the, the, one of the witnesses that give testimony concerning the truth about Jesus is a witness that is born in your heart by the Holy Spirit. This internal witness is from God and one that confirms we've been given eternal life. Notice verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Don't, don't go past that, that word gave too fast. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It is not something you earn or deserve. It is given to you by the grace of God, accomplished for you through the work of his son. It is a gift. In verse 12, John then explains once more the distinction between those who have received that gift, those who received God's testimony versus those who haven't, where he says, whoever has the son Whoever believes the testimony that, 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 that exists concerning the Son and has that testimony in them, whoever believes that, that person has presence, has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. Again, two categories of people in this world. John is abundantly clear that eternal life and Jesus are inseparable. You will not have eternal life if you do not have Jesus Christ. That'd be a good rap, somebody needs to make that up, all right? You won't have eternal life if you don't have Jesus. If you don't believe in him and give, give yourself to him by faith, by believing the testimony that is born concerning him. This is important because I think the spirit who inspired John to write this knows and John would have known that there will be times in your life where you may struggle with assurance of salvation. There, there has to be people in this room right now struggling with assurance of salvation, struggling with your confidence about your standing before God. I mean, does the thought of dying, does that, you, I'm not talking about someone else, I'm talking about the thought of you dying, does that alarm you? Does that make you uneasy? I've met numerous people throughout, my, throughout the years of ministry, and, and many of these were like senior adults, been part of the church all their life, and they are terrified at the thought of dying. Does that, does, does that bother you? Or do you say, to live is Christ, to die is gain? Does it bother you? Does it, does it mess with you? Do you grow anxious when you when you're having to think about life beyond this world, do you struggle believing truly that your sins are forgiven? Friends, these are the times we need this kind of assurance. It's at those moments when you're leaning, you've got to lean on something. And John's saying, I'm giving you that which you need to lean on, and that's Christ. God in his kindness has given us these witnesses so that we can enjoy assurance, so that we can know that we have eternal life. 
He's given us these outward witnesses through the life and ministry of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God the Father himself, and he's given us the internal witness, the testimony that is in us, that when we believe the gospel, that is in itself a witness. Why did you believe the gospel when before you didn't? It's a work of grace. Friends, we need this because we often look so many other places for assurance. We, we look a lot of different places for assurance. Notice that John, notice what he's doing, and, and I think Christians need to hear this. The church needs to hear this. I need to hear this because I think oftentimes we, we believe grace, we believe salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We say that, we write things about it that's beautiful language about confessions of faith and all that. We, we say these things, but then in practice, what happens is we, we begin to move away from faith in Christ to some kind of works mentality. We get in the door through grace, but we kind of have to keep our salvation by works. And that is a wrong perspective. But notice what John is doing. He is not pointing us to some, some system of works. He's not pointing us back even to a past experience. He's calling us to examine our hearts in the moment, in the present. What are you trusting in? Who are you trusting in? That's really the, the refrain that we're finding here is John saying, where, where's your trust? Whom are you believing today? If it's Jesus, rest assured. If it's in something else, you just won't have that assurance. Sometimes believers get anxious, and I don't know why we, we, we there's reasons, but I'm not sure why we, why, why we still see this sometimes, but sometimes believers get anxious because, and maybe this has been you, you can't remember the exact day in which you were saved. And you're kind of embarrassed by that. Because what, what happens sometimes is when we're struggling with assurance, we're going back to, when did I pray that prayer? When did I walk an aisle? When did I, where's my baptism certificate? We're, we're clinging to these things as if they're some kind of assurance. And John's saying, that's not assurance at all. The only assurance you need is faith in Christ. That's where your assurance should be, not in some past experience. Our past experiences are fine, they can be helpful, but they should never serve as our source of assurance. Our assurance is rooted in God's witness to his son by his spirit and his spirit at work in us. The way that you find assurance, the way you face uncertainties in this life, whether it's disease, war, death, the way that you face life with confidence is not by looking back to some time where you prayed a formulaic prayer or walked an aisle, the way you find confidence is by trusting in the witness of God concerning his son. And friends, I'm just asking, do you believe that today? Are you, are you believing that by faith? And if so, then John is saying by the spirit, have confidence. Have confidence. If you trust in my son, God is saying to us, if you're trusting in Christ, have assurance, have confidence today. What are you believing in? Can we have certainty concerning Jesus? John says, absolutely. You can rest confidently that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the eternal Son of God, the Savior of sinners. Why? Because God himself has borne witness to the truth concerning his Son. 
God has said, this is my son, the one who came by water and blood, the one to whom the spirit bears witness and testifies. Believe in him and you will have life. And by finding life in him, you can know with confidence that you belong to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us through your servant, John. We thank you, God, that you, that you care about our assurance and about our confidence. Father, we thank you that you have not left us without witness in this world, but Lord, through your Son, by your Spirit, you have given us witness. Lord, even that work of the Spirit that's at, at work in our own hearts, you have left us with all that we need to know that we have eternal life. So Lord, would you help us to cling to what you've given us as sources for hope, confidence, and assurance? Lord, would you help us not to look anywhere else but the work and the finished work of Jesus Christ and him alone for the salvation that we have and the salvation that we enjoy. My prayer, Father, is that if there are those who are here today or watching that maybe they're wrestling with unbelief, maybe they've not embraced Christ by faith, Father, that you would show them today that only by faith in Jesus Christ, the one that you have testified to, can they find forgiveness of sins and life eternal? God, would you draw them to yourself today and give them faith that they may hope in Christ? Lord, it may be that there are believers here in this room that they're just struggling with, they're, they're anxious, they struggle with assurance or confidence. Lord, would you show them where, where, where they're putting their trust? And Father, would you help expose that if they're putting their trust in anyone or anything else except Christ and his finished work, that they will never have assurance there. But God, only in Christ and only by him can they rest assured. Father, thank you for giving us this word and thank you for giving us a testimony about your son. Help us to trust him, believe him, and follow him all our days, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.